0: Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called Numbers, Preparing for Promise. The book of Numbers gives us insight and warnings for how a covenant people of God should engage with seasons in the wilderness. We will see God's sovereign hand at work over the course of this series as he shaped and molded Israel in preparation for the promised land that awaited them. Although Israel endured many trials and tribulations, oftentimes due to their own sin, the Lord's plan of salvation is at work in numbers as He centers His people on Himself.
1: The fiery cloud, the tabernacle was set up, and on, on that day the cloud covered it. And in the evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle appeared to be a pillar of fire. This was the regular pattern. At night, the cloud changed to the appearance of fire when the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel followed it. And whenever the cloud settled, the people of Israel camped. In this way, they traveled at the Lord's command and stopped wherever he told them to. Then they re- remained where they were as long as they, as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle. If the cloud remained over the tabernacle for a long time, The Israelites stayed for a long time, just as the Lord had commanded. Sometimes the cloud would stay over the tabernacle for only a few days, so the people would stay only a few days. Then at the Lord's command, they would break camp. Sometimes the cloud stayed only overnight and moved on the next morning. But day or night, when the cloud cloud lifted, the people broke camp and followed whether the clouds stayed above the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the people of Israel stayed in camp and did not move on. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved on. So they camped or traveled at the Lord's command. And they did whatever the Lord told them to through Moses. Bless the word, reading of the word.
0: Praise God. Thank you, Miss Sandra. As I said earlier, we are in week two of our series, um, walking through the book of Numbers. Um, If you were to rewind in your mind to the 1980s, some of you don't want to go back there. I can see it. You don't want to go back to the 80s. Some of you love the 80s. The youth pastor I interned under loved 80s music. I was born in the 80s, and so if... If you rewound in your mind to the 1980s, to the back of a station wagon, to the back of, what? To the, if you go to the back, well, some of you may not want to remind, rewind to that t- time, but when I took trips with my family, my brother and I's favorite seat was the back of the station wagon, right? Right? Yeah, why? Because it's got a reverse seat in it. And so you get to make faces at people on the interstate, get on, get into all types of trouble. Some of the kids in here today or watching online have no idea what it's like to ride unbuckled, romping around in the back seat of a station wagon, working the window just... Come on, guy, can't you see my little arm wanting the toot from that tractor and trailer? Bugging my parents with, when are we going to be there? Because we would take these long five hour trips. Well, it used to be long, it was like an eight hour trip before Interstate. Uh, Interstates would get you to the, the hills of West Virginia, it was a longer drive. That we would go 360, hook on to four sixty and out to Roanoke and then on up into the to the mountains. And that's a long time in the car. That's a long for a kid. And so we got into all types of mischief in the back of that car. And we would ask, when are we going to be there? Because we, we had no orientation of where we were or where we were going. We didn't understand maps. and we, Back then, there was an unfolded map. Of course, my dad didn't need that map. Um, he didn't need that map. And he legitimately didn't. He knew where he was going. He grew up in West Virginia, so he had traveled those roads many times. And it always seemed like a long trip. Sometimes, and my parents were smart. They would do it at night, right? Because oftentimes we would sleep, drive them crazy. Now, if that's what you're picturing, as the people of God, the people of Israel, traveling in the book of Numbers, you are incorrect. They didn't have cars. They are traveling through trackless wilderness they're not wandering down a road they are in the desert they're in the wilderness in fact there's two and a half million of them and their camp is about 10 square miles and that group is moving through the wilderness it's where we find ourselves in the book of Numbers just to give you a brief recap, people of God are in slavery. Moses comes along. God sends Moses. He hears the cries of his people. Moses leads them out of captivity. Matter of fact, do we have this image of, uh, I can't remember if I told you to put it up or not, but there's an image. Uh, We had last week where we showed exactly their trip. Um, Starting in Egypt, uh, up here at the top left, you see Ramses, number one. Okay, so they escape captivity and it takes them all the way down to number eight. You can see where they cross the Red Sea. The hand of God takes the water, moves the Red Sea to the sides. Can you put yourself in the story for a moment? Can you imagine the Bible says they crossed on dry ground. And they come on down through the wilderness. It takes them about 40-ish days, okay? 40-ish days to get from number one to number eight. And then we find them at the in the book of Numbers, right at the beginning. We found them last week at Mount Sinai. They, Mount Sinai, they had been there one year during. That year, they had gotten the Ten Commandments. Have you heard the Ten Commandments? Yeah. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've probably heard them. Some of you have memorized them. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And what I'm talking about is when Moses got to Mount Sinai, he went to the top of the mountain where God's presence was and got the rules, the laws, what they should obey. Because they had been in captivity for 400. Everybody say 400. So, follow me in the story. So, they get Ten Commandments, they get all types of laws and ceremonies, that, and what it means to be a holy people. What does it mean to be a separate people, a people around the presence of God, a life outside of slavery? Follow me for two seconds. It took them 40 ish days to get from Egypt to Mount Sinai. And now God is preparing them for a journey through the book of Numbers in the wilderness. And it's going to take them 40 years to get from Mount Sinai to the promised land. It took 40 days to get Israel out of Egypt. It took forty years to get Egypt out of Israel. Forty years. Chapters one through four is what we covered last week. Um, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go listen to it. But chapters one through four is what we covered last week, and they took a census. Uh, they had twelve tribes of the people of God. Um. Is that image up here too? Uh, of uh, let's go to the people camped out. I want people to see that. So they get take a census of everyone. We take a census of everyone, and and they organize into tribes and clans and families. And all of those tribes and clans and families, all these people, two and a half million of them, are organized into camps and how they are supposed to travel in the center. Everybody say center. The center point of their camp and the center point of their travel, God ordains to be his presence. God demanded to be central in the lives of his people. And that's what we talked about last week. We said That God demands to be the center of your life, not a seventh of it, just not just Sunday, not just your morning prayer and evening as you pass out prayer, but every second, every minute, every hour. He wants to be the center. He wants to be the center of your families. He wants to be the center at your workplace. You think that your job is meaningless? No. God has placed you right where you're at and wants to be the center of what you do at work. He wants to be the center of your extracurriculars. Hey, hear me, hear this, pastor. Your extracurricular shouldn't be the center. You don't do the extras and then throw God in on the side. Your life isn't meant to be sprinkled with his presence. It's to be consumed. But some of us are too busy. Other things have become he wants to be the hub that that the wheel revolves around. And he knew in wilderness seasons. Everybody say wilderness. In wilderness seasons, God has to be the center. He sets them apart. He sets apart the Levites. Demands centrality in the life of the believer. And then we're in chapter 9 today. So let me catch you up to where we went. Chapters 5 and 6 deal with purity. Purity. Marital faithfulness and the Nazarite vow. I could go into those. Uh, If you want to read them, I encourage you to. Um, But basically, he's just trying to make sure his people remain pure. In a culture where we're meant to um, almost embrace our ugly, God calls us out from it to a life that is set apart and different. You shouldn't be comfortable with your sinfulness, as a believer anyway. And then in chapter 7, they dedicate the temple. This was an amazing process. Chapter 7 is very long and very detailed. And they offer some offerings to dedicate the tabernacle. Where's the tabernacle? Right there. Ooh. Tajay's good. He's on it this morning. presence of God was here so when they erected the temple the tabernacle they offered some different offerings now I don't have time to go into the different offerings basically sacrificial um, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was meant to start the process of um, reconciling God to man and there were five different types of sacrifices, a burnt offering, uh, a grain offering, a peace offering, a sin offering, a guilt offering. You can learn about those in Leviticus 1 through 5. We don't have time today. But if you want to learn about what it used to look like to atone for the sinfulness, that's what it looked like. They had, a, they had an offering for everything in chapter 7. And so they dedicate the tabernacle in chapter 7 and then we find ourselves in Chapter eight. everybody say eight they have um, the tabernacle is up, it's been built, it's been built to move, so they're going to pack it up and move and set camp, pack it up, move, set camp. This is the journey in numbers. How many of you love road trips? Okay, you should love numbers. some of you obviously don't. What happened to you Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some of you, are, you don't want to know about it, Pastor. It was an ugly trip. Lost a kid. <laughs> My dad, we used to go across this bridge. <laughs> and this has nothing to do with this, but I think you'll enjoy it. He used to take us. It was a it was a drop bridge. You know what a drop bridge is? So it, it drops out so boats can go through. He used to... Um, we used to take this trip out to Jamestown, and the Benjamin Harrison Bridge um, is a drop bridge. It's over in Hopewell. And so when we would take this trip to go out to, the, to ride the ferry, uh, my dad, when we would get caught on the bridge, the bridge had dropped out, so boats could go through, big red light. Of course, traffic's lined up. Um, he would take us by our belt loops and hang us over the side of the bridge, Can you believe that? Can you can you believe it? It's God's grace that I'm here, considering how old them pants were I was wearing. I was a string away from meeting the Lord. My mom was not a fan of that. They were on a journey. And inside the temple, okay, so here's in chapter 8, they light. The lambs, Okay, and there's a particular way inside the temple. You see the big menorah? Everybody say menorah. Okay, so fun fact, when I say menorah, oftentimes you'll think of Christmas, right? That's actually not the menorah. That's the Hanukkiah, okay? The Hanukkiah stands for Hanukkah, okay? That's where we get the word Hanukkah. It actually has nine candles. This is a different candle, It's the menorah. It's got seven. And in chapter eight, I don't have time to go into the detail, but God tells Moses have Aaron lay out the menorah this way, a particular way, so that people could see as they came into the holy place. The rabbis back then used to call the temple the light of the world. Because at the center of the camp here is this menorah that's lighting the center of the camp, the, and they used to call it the light of the world. If you fast forward just a little bit, Jesus would come and say, "I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world." And so they would say, "Oh, that this is God in the flesh. God in the flesh." And then they consecrate some Levites. So, chapter eight is lamps and Levites. Chapter nine, which is where we are today, now that we've caught up, chapter nine is Passover and presence. Let's try. Everybody over here say Passover. Passover. Okay, over here say presence. Okay. In chapter nine, we see them celebrate Passover. Um, For the second time, you know when the first time was? In Egypt. The very last plague before they got out of captivity, out of slavery. The very last plague. There were 10 plagues. Um, They came uh, to destroy, right, Egypt. Anyways, the last one, the last plague was God was going to come and kill the firstborn of everyone there in Egypt. And so what he instructed Moses to tell his people was this. I want you guys to celebrate Passover. I want you to go into your homes, prepare a very specific meal. And then I, before you sit down to dinner, I want you to put blood over the doorposts of your home. And when I, his presence, everybody say presence. When my presence comes to kill the firstborn, if I see blood up over your doorpost, I will pass it by. So that's what the people of God did. They put blood over their doorpost and literally as they're eating dinner, the presence of God came, killed the firstborns in the land where there was no blood covering and protected those who had that covering. I could go into depth about how Christ is the blood that covers us and so the wrath that was due you is covered by his blood. So his presence passed over those homes. Um, in 1 through 14 of Numbers chapter 9 we see them remembering the Passover for a couple reasons but it represented their deliverance from captivity. It's actually where we get the cues for communion. We'll be taking communion next Sunday. And Passover is where we get this idea of the the unleavened bread and the wine. As a matter of fact, we were gonna have communion today. But our grape juice turned into wine since the last time we used it. And I... I didn't want all of us taking shots in service today, and so I threw them away. I got to stick to my notes. That was terrible. I'm going to get a call from the elders on that one. So they were remembering right before. Tabernacles up. Just picture it. Two and a half million people, tabernacles up. They celebrate Passover. They remember When the presence of God passed over their homes and celebrated their redemption from Israel, just like we would celebrate our redemption. Um, You can find that story. Actually, I was going to turn to Exodus chapter 12 and kind of walk you through that um, first Passover, but I think I want you to do it at home. Go to Exodus chapter 12. You'll find the first Passover. Today, what I need to talk about is his presence Because in chapter nine, after they celebrate Passover, it's time to go. Say, it's go time. It's go time. We see God's presence in Genesis as it covers the face of the deep. We see his um, presence at the Red Sea when he splits the waters. We see his presence at the Passover. His presence is covering the scripture. And now his presence is the center. It is the pivot point of his people. God's presence is everything. God's presence is enough. God's presence is sufficient. And I want to talk about that for just a moment. I've got three things for you about God's presence being sufficient. Um, the first thing we see here in the text is in, in, in verse 15. It says, On the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered it. But from evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle looked like a pillar of fire. This was the regular routine at night. And uh, regular routine. At night, the cloud covered the tabernacle, had the appearance of fire. We see from the very moment they set up the tabernacle, that God's presence, number one, his presence is with his people. Do you hear repetition in my voice today? Do you hear repetition in the sermon? God's presence isn't fictitious. God's presence isn't just something we read about. God's presence is something that is real. And in fact, in the scripture here, um, to go around the block here. This is what they called, this cloud that lifted from the temple was called the Shekinah glory. Uh, We don't really get that until the Aramaic writings. It's actually not in the Hebrew. Um, When the people of Israel got sent out and exiled, uh, as generations went on, they had to convert from Hebrew language to Aramaic. And in the Aramaic language, which is what Jesus taught, um, this word Shekinah came about. This physical representation, not imaginary, not just invisible, but the visible presence of God was this cloud. And his, this, his presence, this cloud, wasn't down the block. It wasn't back in Egypt. It wasn't in the promised land. It wasn't in some future place. It wasn't behind them. It was amongst them. It is important that we realize that this tabernacle, where his presence was, was with his people. And my concern, I guess for us today, is what what have you set up in your heart? What tabernacles have you set up in your heart that have nothing to do with the presence of God? I believe we set up things in our lives that make us comfortable. What have you set up in your heart? Is it a place for the presence of God to dwell? Or is it a place for your own comfort and your own choosing? Most of us would rather just live lives that keep God in his arena and I just bring him in when I feel it's necessary. No, the design is this. His presence is to be with His people. What did we call Jesus, right? His presence is with his people. And no other, everybody say no other. No other presence will do. There is no person, there is no place, there is no thing that you can construct in your heart that will do what the presence of God can do. God's presence, his presence is with his people. Number two, his presence overcomes uncertainty. His presence overcomes uncertainty. Can I just, can I pull up a chair next to you for a second? How many of you know the feeling of uncertainty there's different levels of uncertainty there's different levels there's the type of uncertainty when Woody Jones calls you to go do a job that's one level of uncertainty he has landed me in more places of uncertainty Hey, Carl, you want to make a couple hundred dollars? Yeah, sure. Meet me over here. And we just end up in the, it's like the Bermuda Triangle. Every time me and Woody Jones go out somewhere, can any more weird things happen? There's that type of uncertainty, but I'm I'm talking about a different type of uncertainty. I'm talking about the type of uncertainty where you've got to take a step. You've got to make a move. You've got to make a decision. And you don't, and it's, it's life altering. And you don't know where to step. You don't know which, where, which place to go. What decision to make. When the diagnosis isn't in your favor. Think about the people of Israel here. They've been enslaved for 400 years. They don't know what it's like to. They, they couldn't take off for the weekend and take a two week vacation to Bermuda. No. They weren't flying to Cancun on the weekends when their slave work was over with. They have been enslaved in one place for 400 years. They don't know what it is to operate outside of that. So now Moses and the Spirit of God have drugged them out of everything they know to a place they know nothing. They know nothing. They don't know where they're going. They didn't have GPS. They didn't whip out their phone and say, hey, let me just pull this up on Google Maps. They were truly in a wasteland and a wilderness, and they did not know what their next step was. After three miscarriages is kind of where it hit for us. It was two or three. It's kind of at the third one where we said, <laughs> What do we do now? What's our next step? Where are we going? The uncertainty was very big. When I quit my job to start my own business so I could be here with you more, let me tell you something, a lot of uncertainty. A lot of uncertainty. We've all faced uncertainty. They don't know where they're going. God has not laid out the plan. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how they're going to get there. One thing overcomes uncertainty. A certain God. One thing overcomes uncertainty, and that's a certain God. So what is God trying to do here with his presence his presence is with his people, but his presence is also going to overcome every uncertainty. Not family, not friends, not enough. I've tried to cure uncertainty with lots of different things. And there are lots of things they probably could have tried to cure uncertainty. But what God is doing by centering his presence among his people is he is trying to say, I am certain. Did you see what it said here in the text in verse 16? It said, This was the regular pattern. God is faithful. God does what God does on a regular basis with no variation in times of wilderness and wandering. In times of uncertainty, what you need is a God who is certain. That's what I need today. Can I tell you that's what I need today? Not tomorrow. I need it today. You need it today. It's enough. God's presence is sufficient. And then number three, his presence is necessary. His presence is with his people. His presence overcomes uncertainty. And his presence is a necessity. It is necessary. If you look at this text, all you see is if you move, I'm going to move. If you stay, I'm going to stay. If you go, I am going with you. I'm going at your pace. Look at what the text says. In verse 17, whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. And wherever the cloud settled, the people would set up camp. In verse 18, they traveled and camped at the Lord's command. Wherever they told them to go, they remained at the camp as long as the cloud remained. Do you see a rhythm here? Sometimes the cloud would stay a few days, so they would stay a few days. Sometimes, if the cloud moved every day, sometimes it would stay a night, and they would just stay a night. For them to navigate a wilderness that they knew nothing about, it was a necessity. His presence was the guiding necessity. And not in a sense of, sometimes we just don't have a, a mind for this. We don't have a mind for this. Um, you hear it in the Lord's Prayer a little bit. What does it say? Give us this day our daily bread. And the whole story of Numbers as they're wandering in the desert is moment by moment, day by day. When you move, I move. When I stay, When you stay, I'll stay. It's this day by day, moment by moment living, which is why his presence is a necessity. Some of us today consider his presence, mm, we treat it as optional. I only need his presence when things are going wrong or when I'm lost. I only need his presence when things are on fire. That's when I need him. Let me tell you something, saints. I need him every moment. There's an old song that says, I can't even walk. Oh, I can't even walk without him holding my hand. I can't do it by myself. They couldn't do it by themselves. You can't do it by yourself. Hear me today. Hear the word of the Lord today. You need his presence. If I've ever seen a time when people need his presence, they need it today, right now, in this moment. Don't wait until things are crumbling around you. Make a rhythm of diving and just surrounding yourself with his presence. Oh, I need him today. We should have a moment-by-moment dependence on the presence of the Lord. I need it to be central and in my midst. I need it to overcome my uncertainty. I need it right now. And I'm afraid there are some Christians or people at least that call themselves Christians that feel like you have no need for the presence of the Lord. I'm telling you today, you need it. And if you're at a place, can I address you for a second? If you're at a place where you say, no, everything's good. I don't, I don't need to check in with the Lord on a regular basis. I don't need his presence in my life. Well, you have fooled yourself. I would be terrified to be in your place. In fact, the closer I get to the Lord, the more I realize I cannot live life without him. Here's the powerful piece. You ready? God's presence wasn't just these things here in chapter nine. God's presence is for today. If you skip forward to the cross, go back to that picture of the the inside of the temple. If you go back to this picture of the temple, what you'll see is there's the outer. Court here, and then you have the holy place where you see that candelabra, and then you see a big cloth veil, and then the Ark of the Covenant right inside where they kept the Ten Commandments, and that's where the presence of God would actually lift right out of that Holy of Holies, is what they would call it, in cloud form by day, in fire form by night. And as long as it was up, they were following it. They they were going, and when it stopped and came back down, they would stop and set up camp. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible tells us that that veil, that blue veil between the holy place that separated God's presence, where his presence resided, that veil was torn, the Bible says, right down the middle. It was torn right down the middle. And his presence was now to indwell. Everybody say indwell. Indwell his people. His presence was meant to indwell his people. If you go to 2 Corinthians 6.16, what you'll see is it says, Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will dwell and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Ezekiel 36:27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Romans 8:11. And the bank can come up if you guys like. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. watch it, who dwells in you. I love this one, John 16:13. But when he, the Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. Everybody say guide. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. What are you saying, preacher? What are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. The same Presence that brought the earth into existence, the same presence that set the, the people of Israel free, the same presence that opened the Red Sea. The same presence that was on Mount Sinai when Moses got the Ten Commandments. The same presence we see lifting up out of the Holy of Holies. The same presence that can raise the dead and heal the sick, make the lame to walk. Turn a bad marriage around who can save the farthest person lost. The same presence That heals depression and walks with us in the valley of the shadow of death. The same presence that meets me in the darkest night of my soul. The same presence when I can't tell up from down. The same presence that guided the people of God. In their wilderness season is the same presence that indwells you and I today. It is that same presence that will take me through every season when I feel lost. That same presence is available to the unbeliever today. It's that presence that draws and beckons you to realize that Jesus Christ died for your sins He awakens, he does the work, the Holy Spirit indwelling us does the work of what we call illumination which brings my sin to my sight who makes me realize I'm in need of a savior and for those who don't know Christ it is that same spirit, that same presence that is bringing dead people spiritually to life today. I got a text message yesterday, and it just crushed me, crushed me. Have you ever gotten one of those messages? And you thought, what's next, right? Ever had one of those seasons? I'll be honest with you, I've been having one of those seasons. i been having one of those seasons where it just seems like it's there's a lot of uncertainty. I got a text to one of our um, one of our friends that attends here, Brother Jody, um, he was diagnosed with cancer. He's here today, diagnosed with cancer, uh, originally in the esophagus, and I got a text yesterday saying, "They didn't get a good report. <laughs> you ever gotten that report? And I I remember last night, we had put the kids to bed. And I said, what what do you do? What do you do with that type of uncertainty? And what I have found. And I sat sat on the couch (laughs) and began to pray. I said, oh, Lord, what can I pray? What can I do? And he drew my mind write to this text today, and he said, Carl, there's one certain thing. There's one certain thing. And there's one cure for uncertainty, and that is my presence. So we're going to pray for Jody today. We're going to stretch our hands towards him, and we're going to ask the presence of God. To surround him, to fill his body. And to heal him. My question to you is this. Where do you need God's presence? Because we can pray about that too. If if you have a situation this morning as we get ready to pray, if you have a situation, you just say, man, I just need the presence of the Lord this morning. I need his presence. Yeah, that's it. Look look around the room. Look at the needs. As the band begins to play, I I just want you guys to go before the throne of God with me and beseech him for his presence and say, Lord, make me a sanctuary. Make me a sanctuary for your presence. So that I, as I walk through life, in every season of uncertainty, that it's your presence that indwells me and overflows out of me and grabs a hold of everyone around me. I just want his presence. Is that okay? Hear me. I, I just want his presence. I don't want to just talk about it. I just don't want to daydream about it. I I don't want to just go day to day and then experience his presence on Sundays. I want to wake up on Monday morning and sense his presence all around. I want to see him work. I want to see him move. I want to see his presence be the center of this church in a way that is transformative, that is miraculous, that we stand back and say, hey, we didn't know, but God did that our lives would be that way. This morning, if you would, would you just stretch your hands toward the center of the room over here to our brother? And whatever your need is, we're going to call it before the Lord as well. Right now, Father God, we aren't praying to an empty space. We aren't coming before a false, dead entity. We are coming before your presence. Asking that you would intervene on Jody's behalf. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know that today, I know that right now, that your presence is certain that your plan is certain, that you are faithful, and that today, whether it's the cloud by day or the fire by night or just this prayer at the end of our ropes, Father, today I need your presence and ask that your presence would fill his body and heal him from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Right now, God, we ask that your presence would begin to move in a way that we don't say, Wow, that prayer worked, but oh, God is faithful. Oh, God is true, that it would point us to your glory. And no matter what other need that there is in this room right now, I know that your presence is what's needed. I know that your presence is what's a necessity. My marriage needs your presence. My kids need your presence. My grandkids, our schools, our elected leaders, God, they need your presence. Make yourself known in our midst. Let us be sensitive today to how you're working internally. Let us not miss you. Oh, let us not miss you your presence. Today, I can't take another step. I can't utter another word. I can't breathe another breath without you. I can't make another decision. I can't do it on my own. God, I need your presence. There are those today, God, you're drawing to coming home Sunday. I ask that your presence would invade their space. That they're they're, Your presence would awaken them to their need for you. That they can surrender their lives to you right now. Father, I I know that there are those you are drawing to yourself right now. That your presence is drawing. And I ask that they would lay down their life. That they would lay down their sin. That they would turn from it and turn to you. And declare you Lord of their life. We want to see it. Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. We need you. We don't want to rush. We don't want to run away from here just thinking, oh, I got to get to Applebee's. Oh, God, we need more than food. We need you. More than my next paycheck. God, I need you more the next big idea. I need you more. I need you more. I need you more. Make me less and make more of you in my life today. We pray. We ask these things knowing that you are at the center of it all. And that you are going to guide us in every step. Wherever you go, God, we want to go. Whenever you stay, God, we want to stay. Help us stay sensitive to your leading. No matter what is ahead in my wilderness season. Or whether I am in the promised land already. Lord, I, help. I, I pray today that you would help us to be sensitive to your leading. Change us, God. Let us not leave you the same. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.